you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lockie. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, good morning again, church. Um, thank you again to all of those who are joining us today, um, especially yeah, those who are friends and family, uh, for those who were getting baptised, uh, anyone who's joining us online, thank you again. Hey, um, during the week, we had um, a couple of men's and women's teaching events, uh, which is really encouraging. Tuesday night, we split uh, South Side and North Side uh, and had two really great nights there, had a bunch of good feedback on those. If you've got negative feedback, we're open to it, just haven't heard it yet, um, so feel free to bring that in a kind Christian manner. Um, 
And also then the women met together on Wednesday night, uh, and I've only heard great things about that. They had Fiona Miller with them uh, walking through the book of Philippians, uh, and that was a really encouraging night to hear about as well. Uh, And just before I pray and jump in, just want to let you know that uh, I'm about to go on two weeks of leave. Um, So on Tuesday, uh, I'm um, off the clock, um, and uh, our family are heading up to sunny coast hinterland for a few nights together, uh, and then I'll have the following week off as well. Uh, so I won't be here for two Sundays, uh, but confident that you're in good hands uh, and looking forward to being back for our next-gen all-in service on July 9th, uh, and then July 16th, we're kicking off our new sermon series, which we'll hear more about in the coming weeks. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to uh, have your word. Thank you for the gift that it is. Thank you that it uh, tells us exactly what we need to know about who you are, what you have done for us in Christ, and what you are calling us to in yourself. Father, we pray that as we walk through chapter 10 this morning, that our hearts would be encouraged and brought to life as we behold your goodness to us. And may we pick up those challenges that Paul lays down, that we might continue to grow in your likeness. Amen. Well, 200 or so years after the Apostle Paul uh, was dealing with these Corinthians, a young Greek named Demosthenes was born. Uh, he was born to affluent parents, uh, and, but by the age of seven was an orphan. And uh, the trustees of his father's estate took parentage of him. Um, I think there's a sick image of him speaking to the ocean. Um, there he is. Um, however... Around the age of 20, as he was becoming a man, uh, he discovered that the trustees had squandered his father's estate. Uh, And in ancient Greece, you could sue, but you had to do it alone. You weren't able, there was no uh, relying on legal authorities or representation. You had to go before the Greek court of your own accord and present your own case. The trouble with this is that Demosthenes was frail of body and speech. He was dull in appearance and apparently had uh, quite a stutter, quite the speech impediment, which in these times, this effectively meant you had zero uh, like opportunity, you had zero chance in a Greek court. However, determined to win his justice, he trained. Insert Rocky Balboa training montage. You could hear the music in the background. He filled his mouth with pebbles and perfected his pronunciation. He, could, uh, he would run up steep hills uh, and ancient Greek steps while reciting a speech that he'd memorised. And he'd give speeches, as this image shows us, over the roaring ocean to strengthen his diaphragm so that he could speak uh, clearly, confidently and above the raucous of a Greek court. And... Not only did he go on to successfully win his day in court, but also went on to become one of the most famous Greek orators and politicians of all time. This story helpfully illustrates the ancient Greek ideal, that a a young person who goes from rags to riches, who takes charge of their own destiny, who improves their, uh, their physicality and their, uh, their outward appearance and their, their outward um, sort of oration skills in order to impress and convince the world of their greatness. However, as we've already seen in 2 Corinthians and we'll see again this morning, Paul, the apostle, 
who has poor outward appearance, is most likely uh, very weak of speech. He rests not on his own origin story or his growth in his outward greatness, but in who Jesus is and the work of the gospel in and through Paul's life. Uh, Maybe you're new with us this morning and um, asking yourself the question, what do I mean by the work of the gospel? By the work of the gospel, I mean that because Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and became like one of us, human and frail, but lived perfectly according to God's ways. He lived the life that we cannot live because of our bondage to sin, to our wrongdoing, to our rebellion against a holy God. But Jesus, on our behalf, died the death that we should have died due to that sin and rose three days later, victorious over sin and death. This work of Jesus is summarised as the gospel or the good news. And it's good news because for those that place their trust in Jesus, in what he's done for us, that he has brought us to life through his death and resurrection, that he has taken the complete penalty for our sin upon himself, this means that we too, if we trust in Jesus, can have his life. So that's what I mean by the work of the gospel in and through Paul's life and he's dependent upon that, not upon his own ability to improve his speech or his physicality to be more outwardly appealing. Uh, This morning, this final section of chapter 2, last week I sort of broke the divisions. I talked about how uh, sort of chapter 1 is an introduction to the whole thing, 2 through to uh, 7 is uh, sort of Paul really making his first appeal, then 8 and 9 are this uh, sort of Um, stamped in their appeal for them to be uh, faithful to their commitment to the generosity uh, to relieve the poor of the Jerusalem uh, church and their suffering. And then 10 through to 13, Paul seems to snap back out of that and come back really hard, not so much towards those repentant in the church, uh, but to those false teachers and those unrepentant in the church. And it's quite a direct word that he jumps in there with. And so these ones are being tempted, these uh, Corinthians in this church who are yet to turn back from their being convinced by these false teachers, they're being tempted into trusting human wisdom and priorities. But Paul is concerned that they would see Christ, the suffering servant who suffered for them that they might live. And so he goes to work in chapters 10 through to 13, affirming and defending the authenticity of of the gospel. In chapter 10, Paul does something very deliberate, uh, countercultural, and inspiring. He points once again to the work of the gospel and why the gospel calls us to such radical differences to what these super apostles or these false teachers were declaring. And Paul's uh, opening words here draw his readers in more intensively. Previously, he had been writing uh, from the perspective of what's called an apostolic plural, uh, which is a term to describe who Paul is referring to when he uses plural words like we or our. Uh, But now he begins, I, Paul, myself, entreat you. 
Paul wants his readers to hear him clearly, that this is Paul speaking. This isn't necessarily any more on behalf of uh, his ministry associates like Titus, but this is him speaking clearly and directly to the Corinthians. It's kind of like a, a Matt Chandler, look at me, look at me. It's sort of doing that. It's, it's really Paul trying to call the attention of his readers to look him in the eye now. And I think at this point, we expect something quite harsh, uh, brash, or very direct to be, to be said uh, to these Corinthians. But look at what Paul says in this opening verse. He says that I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Quite ironically, Paul exemplifies how his gospel ministry is shaped by Christ. If anyone had a right to be ticked off and frustrated it was Paul. But he begins this way in order to prove a point, a point he goes on throughout the rest of this chapter to make. And the point is this, it's completely God's work. Therefore, give all glory to him. To help us see this, we'll walk through three main points this morning. The first is that God is our, sorry, the gospel is our weapon, the gospel is consistent, and the gospel does the work. Our first point this morning, the gospel is our weapon. Let's uh, reread these first six verses together. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of according, walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete." Paul is contrasting the difference between the weapons of these super apostles and the weapons of those who are proclaiming the true gospel. He highlights that the gospel is the weapon. Uh, thinking back to our, friends, our friend Demosthenes from the introduction, the expectation on Paul would be that he would weaponize speech, that he would take his weak physical frame and his poor oratory skills and he'd go to work perfecting and strengthening it so that he'd be able to better argue his case against these so-called super-apostles, but he doesn't. Paul makes it clear that he doesn't fight with these humanistic weapons, but with the truth of the gospel preached faithfully while trusting God. Look again at verse 3 and 4, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, so although he is human, although he has those temptations, although he has the, the frailty of the human condition and the temptation of sin, for though we, he walks in the flesh, he is not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of his, our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. His weapons are not fluency of speech or impressiveness of body. In fact, like if you read some of the uh, study Bibles that even talks about, there's a good chance that he was quite small in stature, maybe a little bit Danny DeVito-like, um, a little bit hunched over, had some weird-looking legs, uh, and definitely had sort of a small, audible voice. 
Uh, not a huge amount of proof as to how true that is, but a helpful picture uh, to help us understand what's going on in these verses. He's confident that his weapon is that which has divine power to destroy strongholds. And what strongholds is he referring to? Well, verse 5, it's those arguments and lofty opinions argued against who God is, held up against the knowledge of God. These sophists, these professional arguers and speech makers that would do the rounds uh, throughout places like Corinth made their weapons in the form of convincing arguments and opinions. And they, plus the convinced Corinthians, would have respected Paul to retort likewise, with eloquent words and smoothness of speech. However, as we've heard Paul speak to this already, um, Paul's already told them in his previous letter, come back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a few pages back in your Bibles. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, and I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Paul didn't rely on fancy words or eloquent speech, but in radical contrast to the surrounding culture, uh, he simply preached and lived the gospel among them. I think this is both an indictment upon us, but also an encouragement to us. An indictment because I think in the modern church, we have also fallen for the trap. Christians are so easily drawn into the rhetoric of the culture, uh, the weapons of so-called human wisdom and tactics. If you don't believe me, just spend 30 seconds on Twitter. You could be only in the Christian bubble on Twitter and this will still ring true. We don't argue like Christians anymore. We argue how the culture around us argues. Christians so easily fall for the trap of using fleshly weapons. We argue the same way the world does. We throw hatred and insult. And I think at the end of the day, it reveals our lack of trust in God's word. It reveals that we think that we can do a better job in our own wisdom. Ultimately, what Paul is saying here is that he is so convinced of the gospel, so convinced of its power to save and transform lives to the glory of God that he is unwilling to use the weapons and ploys of the world and will remain steadfast in his preaching and teaching of the gospel. But it's also an encouragement to us because it means we don't have to get fancy. We don't have to rest in performances or a great show We aren't pressured to be perfected professionals, but we are encouraged that God does His work through our simple proclamation of His Word, the Gospel. As Paul states in another of his letters, the letter to the church in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Church, let's keep the gospel on repeat, trusting that God's word will do the work. It will tear down the strongholds. God's word will bring people to repentance and salvation. We don't need to go to underhanded ways or to tamper with God's word, as he says back in chapter 4, but trust that by the open statement of the truth, God is working. We don't need to make God's word more appealing. I'm not, as your pastor, going to go to some big fancy professional speaking course so that I can entertain you all with my incredible oratory skills. I don't care if you're entertained, I care if you're transformed. This morning, we're going to continue to trust the Holy Spirit as the one who works in people's hearts, that He's the one giving them ears to hear, eyes to see, and new hearts to desire, worshipping our living God and Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, because it's the gospel that works, Paul's message and character remain consistent, whether he's in person or in letter. Point two, the gospel is consistent. Let's keep reading chapter 10, verse 7 to 11. He says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want you to appear, I do not want to be appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. As we're uh, used to seeing through this letter, Paul doesn't defend himself for the sake of his own reputation, but he defends the gospel, the reputation and its work in his own life. And so Paul is now calling out directly the ringleader of these false teachers. And he makes it clear that even though Paul doesn't fit their Greek ideal, Paul is Christ's. His famous Damascus Road conversion did happen, that the real Jesus opened Paul's eyes to the real gospel. And now Paul serves Christ, his Lord, as a messenger of that gospel. And Paul isn't ashamed of the authority that Christ has given him as a messenger. Because once again, his authority does not come from himself, as if he could boast that it's his brilliance of mind or speech, but he is convinced that it's only the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the only thing that has the power and authority for building you up and not destroying you, as he says in verse 8. Uh, Gary Miller, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, treats uh, chapter 10 as a lesson on seven habits of Christ-like leadership as shown through Paul. And commenting on these particular verses, he calls the reader to the habit of being committed to consistency. Asking, are we the same person when it comes to our truth or our tone, both in person or through other means of communication? With a culture around us espousing that tolerance is the most loving action, are we committed to gospel consistency when we're in person 
and let's say, for example, the modern version of our letter writing today when we're online? Or are we classic keyboard warriors? But then in person, tolerant and cowardly. Now, I'm not suggesting we all become a bunch of like really mean uh, Christians no matter where we are. But the question is, do we present the same kind of character in all spheres of life? Again, the call from Paul is to be so convinced of the gospel that we would be, as verse 11 says, committed to what we say by letter when absent, doing when we are present. Are we Putting our, are we staying true to our word? If we're going to say thing, say one thing over here uh, when we're online, or when we maybe we are letter writing, or maybe via an email, are we committed to that same uh, consistency, that same gospel clarity when we're in person with each other, or do we sound strong when we're writing via text or email or online, and then sound weak when we're in person? Do we hold that consistent conviction that it's the gospel that is doing the work in our lives and therefore in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And so, so far this morning, we've seen that from chapter 10, the gospel is our weapon. If we trust God's word, we will rely on it alone. We've seen that the gospel is consistent. No matter who we're with or what platform we use, we're called to trust the gospel so explicitly that we live consistently acknowledging, point three, that the gospel does the work. Let's uh, continue reading verse 12 through to 18. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, with our boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends." Uh, Verses 12 and 18 form what is termed an inclusio, which is really just fancy Bible speak for a content sandwich. In verse 12, Paul highlights what he's about to explain through this passage by using a negative uh, bookend. And in verse 18, he ends the explanation with the positive bookend. And this entire section is also a little bit tongue-in-cheek. He's calling out those who stand around and compare their gifts to each other. Uh, those who commend themselves, they give themselves credit uh, because of their talents or outward impressiveness. You could imagine these guys after the service uh, walking up to one another and being like, mate, nailed that. Like really the way that you pronounced uh, those incredible words there, everyone was losing their brain about how good you are at your job. Now, firstly, I'm incredibly thankful 
that after a service, I get to stand there, say goodbye to you all, God bless, and a whole bunch of you say thank you for that and well done, and that's incredible. Um, it's very encouraging, and I'm glad that that happens. However, I think if the day came when uh, you were so impressed by my oratory skills that you no longer saw the glory of Christ in the gospel and that uh, what you heard in the message was that Jesus reigns, rules, uh, and is working in your life to bring you from death to life, from darkness to light. If you walked out of that building, if you ever walk out of a Sunday service thinking, wow, Zach is so good at what he does, or Mike is so good at what he does, can I please encourage you to send us an email and tell us that we are doing the wrong thing? If you ever leave our church not convinced of how good Jesus is and far too convinced of how this might sound or come across, something terrible is happening. And I'll be committed to being a whole lot worse at this and making sure that Jesus shines a whole bunch brighter. Uh, in verses 13 to 16, Paul explains that he and his associates um, have always done their ministry acknowledging the limits that God has placed. So they were called to particular people groups. You might remember back from in Acts where uh, Paul and Barnabas say, uh, Paul convinces that Jerusalem council that he's called to the Gentiles, that God, the gospel, is working to bring Gentiles into the family of God. Uh, and so he acknowledges that call in his life and they continue to go on their journey from uh, outside of those uh, Jewish areas into all of that known world at the time. And he's saying here that they had never tried to take the credit for the work of others. Uh, and his reason for confidence on this is his conviction that it has always only been the power of the gospel. He then brings down the hammer on these so-called super apostles by quoting the prophet Jeremiah from the Old Testament in verse 17, where he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Something which um, blows my mind to see the scope of biblical history. Jeremiah was prophesying God's word about 700 years before Paul was writing this letter. However, even in Paul's day, humankind are still struggling with right boasting. And today, in our church right now and in our modern era, some 2,000 years later, after Paul wrote these words, we are still struggling to give God alone the credit and glory he deserves. The word of God to these Corinthians, both the false teachers and the Christians, is still the living word of God for you and me today. We genuinely have no real boast, no real credit or glory, only God himself does. So Paul really makes this clear by quoting Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 to 24. So let's turn back in our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. So in classic Paul fashion, he sort of condensed the quote, uh, but the whole quote from Jeremiah 9 is extremely helpful for us this morning. The prophet Isaiah, speaking the very words of God in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. 
For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This threefold list is a literary device uh, to sort of bracket and really show that this is actually all of life encompassing. Wisdom, humankind's intellect and invention and intuition, riches, uh, humankind's wealth and resources and ownership and might, humankind's strength and dominance over creation. All these things are good gifts from God for human flourishing, but due to our sinful nature, we are prone to make these things everything. And we're prone to give ourselves the credit or to boast in what we have. The warning from Jeremiah, echoed by Paul, is that we would understand and know God, that He is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, and that these are the things in which God delights. And this is the great encouragement and comfort to God's people today. God, through the gracious work of Christ in the gospel, has done the work on our behalf. We have nothing to bring to the table for our own credit, but we can give all glory to God for He alone has done all for us. Verse 18 may well be the most important verse for us this morning. In wrapping up his whole argument and likewise this sermon, Paul clearly corrects the folly of those false teachers and super apostles, declaring boldly that it is not the one who commends himself, uh, those who think much of themselves, but the one whom the Lord commends is the one who is approved. So much of our culture is caught up in that false dream that we better ourselves, that like Demosthenes, uh, we can go to work, get stronger, more articulate, strive for our purposes and reach the goal of commending ourselves or being commended by the people around us. But what the Bible makes clear is that all along, this means nothing in the long term. Church, we need the approval of God Almighty, the creator of all things. And we can never better ourselves to the point of being approved by Him. All our attempts at self-growth, self-righteousness, self-commendation are empty and worthless and have no eternal significance. We are in need of the approval of another. One that God does completely approve of gifting us His approval. And thanks be to God that we have this in His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived perfectly according to God's ways, God approved Him and has given Him the name which is above all names. And if we would but believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, the only one worth boasting about, He promises light and life and freedom from sin and death, and a new heart that desires to know God and be transformed by Him. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray, um, and as I pray, I'd like to encourage you to consider where do you chase your commendation from? From where do you seek your approval? Uh, I want to invite you this morning to put your trust 
in Jesus and his complete work for us in the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning hearing the gospel, hearing this news of who Jesus is for the very first time. Maybe you walked in those doors this morning defeated, deflated, spending so much of your life trying to find commendation in your own self-worth, hoping and trusting that you might get it from friends and family or your social circles. Maybe if you could just get the next thing, the next possession, the next milestone, the next promotion, whatever it might be in your life, maybe then finally you'd feel like someone approves of who you are. Maybe you're down on yourself in the sense of you've not been able to uh, get yourself out of the, the muck and mud of your own sin and bad choices. Maybe you're here this morning and you're realising that you've been trying for so long to earn God's approval, to show God that you're worthy or worth Him saving you. This morning, the most beautiful and incredible message that we have is that you are completely unable to do so. But in Jesus Christ, because of his perfect life on our behalf, our Heavenly Father now calls you his son or his daughter. He welcomes you to his table and completely approves of who you are because you are in Christ. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and, and you want that approval of God, this morning as I pray, would you throw your heart upon the mercy of God that he has approved Christ on our behalf? Christian, if you're here this morning and you're... Um, you know, you're completely trusting that Jesus has done that work for you. you. You understand that you are approved by God and you are commended by God, that your, uh, your righteousness is completely wrapped up in who Jesus is and nothing that you bring to the table. May this prayer be an encouragement for your perse- uh, perse- perseverance, for your endurance, for your encouragement, and may you take the challenges of recognising that we don't have to go into the world and meet their expectations of what it takes to be someone who is convincing. We don't have to go into the world, change our message or change our style or change our approach. We go into the world completely reliant upon the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done in his life, death and resurrection on our behalf and we continue to consistently take that message into the world. It's the message that has the power to tear down any lofty argument or opinion that the world might try and throw at the validity and the truth of who Jesus is. It's the gospel that is consistent uh, consistent in our lives, so therefore we have permission and the ability to be consistent both in person with people and when we're online trying to help people understand something that we're talking about or when we're sending messages to one another and we can trust absolutely that it's the gospel that does the work and so therefore it's not on our shoulders to get it all right or to be convincing but we trust the Holy Spirit is working in those that he has called before the foundations of the world and he will bring to salvation those that he calls. Let's pray together church. Heavenly Father we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus for us 
Although we do not deserve your freedom, your forgiveness or your life, you so loved all your creation that you made a way through the perfect work of your Son. Help us to trust that perfect work today. That you have completely approved of the work of Jesus on our behalf and for those that trust in him by faith, we are gifted his commendation, his right standing with you. I ask that you would encourage your people with these truths today, but that also you would encourage those here with us that don't yet trust you, that they would seek their approval not in the things of humankind, not in self-betterment or self-actualization, but in truth, the truth of all that Jesus did for us in his life, death and resurrection. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen, church. We're um, going to have some people available to pray with during these songs. Uh, Peter and Alexandra and myself are going to stand in the middle here. If you want prayer uh, for anything that maybe uh, you've heard this morning or you're walking through, it could be anything you're going on in your life right now, please come and make um, avail of that. Um, also, I want to encourage you, if, you're, if you are here with us and you heard that gospel call and uh, you want to respond to that, you want to let somebody know uh, that this morning you heard about who Jesus is and you want to place your trust in Him and live in His life, can I encourage you, chat to the person you came with. Uh, if you didn't come with anyone, chat to myself uh, or you can see one of our lovely welcome team wearing the lanyards uh, and they would love, we would love to get around you and help you come to know uh, who Jesus is. As for now, can I encourage you to stand to your feet and let's respond to this word in song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.